Pam, and uh, welcome everybody. I want to say good morning, good afternoon, and good evening because we have people from uh, all continents again and around the world, as as uh, as we say. Uh, I'd like to start with a couple of items that uh, what I call are my hot topics, and uh, we'll move through these quickly, and uh, then I can't wait to get to my my guests today. Uh, first of all, just uh, touching on the European closures. As we know, back in November, the uh, the government officials ordered theme parks to close uh, throughout uh, Europe, and uh, we're going to get an update on that uh, from our guest today, who is in uh, England. So uh, I'm sure uh, that will be a very hot topic with her. Second, uh, California continues to um, uh, increase their lockdown. Uh, we know they went to purple tier here recently. 94% of California is uh, currently in that purple tier. And uh, what we're hearing right now is basically that the parks are gonna remain closed uh, and through 2020 and not opening until possibly the spring of 2021. Uh, some Disney news, uh, just last week on top of the previous uh, layoffs that Disney had of 28,000. They laid off 4,000 more. So uh, their total now is, is approximating uh, 32,000. Uh, the layoff was expected to be completed by March, 2021, uh, which will be a full year as we know from when uh, the theme parks uh, initially closed due to the pandemic. So uh, this is about 20% of Disney's 155,000 employees uh, globally. So uh, recently this week, <clears throat> Hong Kong uh, was closed again. And with the Hong Kong park closed, now half of the Disney parks around the world uh, remain closed. Here in the US, in uh, U New York, um, the governor has uh, set guidelines again. Um, and uh, while he's has some flexibility on restaurants and bars, uh, Amusement parks were left out in the cold and were not given any uh, any guidelines for reopening. So um, many parks are concerned up in New York that they're, uh, they may not even get the green light to reopen uh, in March, 2021. So uh, very, uh, very critical uh, for, for New York. Elsewhere uh, here in Florida, um, we are seeing, uh, we saw an upturn, uptick, if you will, in uh, attendance in the Orlando market during the Thanksgiving, which uh, was good. Uh, the governor there has worked with the theme parks uh, uh, very well. And uh, we think that that points to an even larger increase for parks uh, during uh, the Christmas season. So we'll find that over the next few weeks. Uh, the big announcement today actually comes out of UK, uh, the vaccine. Pfizer has announced uh, that uh, their vaccine is going to be implemented, instituted next week uh, throughout the UK. And um, this will be the first country that actually affects the uh, vaccine. So that's very exciting. And uh, we will uh, we will hear about that uh, today as we... Uh, work through our discussion with, uh, with Amanda. Let me move to Amanda Thompson, a longtime family friend, um, 
Amanda's family, I've known them for uh, 50 years. I knew her, her grandfather, Leonard. I was a great friend. Uh, I'm happy to say with her father, Jeffrey, and her mom and her brother, Nicholas, uh, and Amanda. Uh, they truly are uh, a dynasty in the theme park uh, industry, uh, not only in Europe, in England, but uh, throughout the um, throughout the world, they're regarded as uh, uh, true royalty, really, within the our industry. So our our focus today is is going to be on the, the leisure attractions industry and specifically how the European parks are handling the recent reclosures uh, because of of the pandemic. So as I said, my my guest is uh, Amanda Thompson, OBE which is the most excellent order of the British Empire. Uh, it's a uh, British order of chivalry, I can't say that, Amanda, rewarding contributions to the awards, to the arts and sciences and the work that uh, people have done uh, in the er areas of charity and, uh, and welfare. And no one deserves that uh, title more than, than Amanda. She's managing director of Blackpool Pleasure Beach, and uh, she's president of Stageworks Worldwide. And uh, equally as important as those, those other two, Amanda is the current chairman of IAPA, the International Association of Amusement Parks. So we're uh, very pleased that uh, uh, Amanda is in that chair and uh, she has served the industry so well through the years and no one uh, deserves to be in that position more than her. Uh, she's led Blackpool since 2004 um, and she's positioned the park as uh, uh, one of the best in, in Europe and it certainly is. Uh, her, her experience in the industry uh, has, shown, has shown and, and beyond a doubt that she's really accustomed to tackling difficult demanding workloads uh, and she's been a person since I've known her that has always pushed the, the boundaries. So uh, let me move forward here and let me introduce Amanda Thompson. Amanda, welcome to I'm for Fun. Happy to have you here today. It's my pleasure, Dennis, to be here with you and all your guests. Well, thank you very much. Well, just for the record, we have over several hundred people again attending. You were a person that uh, was asked to come on uh, when we received requests uh, about uh, attendees. And so uh, happy that you said yes and you're here today with us. It's going to be a, a fun discussion. We got a lot to cover. Um, I'm going to ask you to just introduce uh, anything I missed and, and say what you'd like, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive into it. Okay. Okay, fine. Good. Just go ahead, Dennis. You ask okay. questions. Okay. Did I, did I cover the background pretty well? I think you did. I think you did remarkably well. You were very polite, Dennis. I was surprised. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Well, obviously, <laughs> that, that's that's correct well we're 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 going to spend a bit of time on uh, uh at the top of this podcast uh we want to talk about covid and the impact that uh, that it's had and certainly uh that's on everybody's mind and we keep going through these peaks and valleys around the world and um uh we know that you just uh, uh 
we're hit with another closure over in, in your part of the world. So uh, why don't you just give us a, a few minutes of what the impact has been uh, and, uh, and then we'll get into some of the more positive things of how we're gonna pull out of this and what you see for the future. Well, I can say that what is extraordinary about this um, pandemic is that it's hit us all around the world at the same time. So we've all had to deal with everything together and that's totally unusual. And to be honest, none of us have ever experienced anything like this. So none of us can do the right thing or the wrong thing because we've never had to do anything like this or deal with anything like this. I think what's been really amazing is the fact that the whole world has come together to find solutions and nothing more so than the vaccine that um, you announced earlier is um, just been um, passed by the British medical authorities today. So um, the UK is starting vaccinating next week. Um, so that's great news. So we'll be the guinea pigs for the rest of the world. But you know what? Who cares? I think it's great and I'll happily have the vaccine because what we need to do is we need to get the world working properly again. We all need to be up and working again. It doesn't matter what industry we're in. We all need to be there operating as usual. We need to get the economic levels all around the world booming again. We all need to be back in business. Well, you will take the vaccine, right? Obviously, yes. Yeah. And, uh, the people that I know when it when it's available here in the US, uh, they they too will take the vaccine. And I think that's going to help launch us on uh, on the next step and get us out of this, uh, these doldrums that we're in. Uh, what what's the impact been on Blackpool Pleasure Beach? Uh, Amanda, you've, you've had to, you open, you closed, you've opened, you've closed again. What's the impact been on on the people, the market, and what are you finding in general to be the uh, just the overall impact? Well, I think the impact has been very difficult for people to contend to cope with, really, because when we initially closed, everyone knew the reason for everything. Um, everyone pulled together and we just shut. And that was very dramatic for me because you know that this business has never closed. We've been open through two world wars and I really found it very tough to be told by the government that we had to close. Now, I understood that we had a huge and horrible pandemic to deal with, but when we opened again, we dealt with it in a COVID secure way and gosh, we had two months to plan for that. We changed everything. We changed our entry system. We changed the queuing system for the rides. And quite frankly, we were really busy trying to find solutions on how we could actually open. Getting open was complicated. Getting open was difficult because we, everyone was on furlough. Thankfully, we had the opportunity to keep staff on furlough. And so that did help. But there were a very few core members of my team that came together from operations, from all different areas of the park, but not the full teams came in. We worked with a very small team of people. I mean, I was pruning roses before we opened again, because quite frankly, I didn't care what I did, as long as we could get the park looking spick and span. Shutting for two months, three months is not easy um, because closing an amusement park, you can't just turn on a tap. You can't turn it off and on like that. It's not an easy situation. It's, it's very difficult because you have to retrain all the staff when they come back to work. 
you have to retrain them all with all the COVID secure protocols. And that's complicated and it's difficult, but everyone was really up for it. They all wanted to get back to work. So we did it. The next thing was actually ensuring that our guests felt safe. And that was quite a hard thing to do because we had to, they had to build, know that we had the, they had the confidence to visit us because that was difficult to build that confidence, but we did. We did a lot of TV work beforehand. We were lucky because we um, were quite a visual part. For those of you that know Blackpool Pleasure Beach, it has a lot of sort of famous attractions, good, um, good wooden roller coasters. And of course we have the Mac icon coaster so we did some great publicity with tv on those coasters and that helped build the confidence of our public and so when we opened people felt very secure very safe coming here because they'd seen it on tv they understood the procedures that we'd gone to it was all very carefully planned out and relayed to the public so that did happened you, sorry i was going to say did you have to cut cut back your marketing and adjust that immediately Absolutely. and keep adjusting it yeah, absolutely. We had to change everything very quickly. We had we had so much TV marketing books, so we had to cut back on all that. Um, we changed our marketing totally, and we we um, we changed the way of operating the park. We went cashless. We you had to book online to come into the park, but we've been booking online for many years, yeah. so that wasn't so difficult. It was the fact that we changed the entry system. Um, to come into the park. So you no longer had to wear a wristband. You came, you had all the details on your phone. So we had to write the app so that you could get into the park and, and do everything correctly. So that happened and we did it. And I have to say, my team here at Pleasure Beach worked extremely hard and extremely well together. I'm very proud of them actually. And um, to be honest, I was here with them every day. I've driven everybody mad. And um, because of COVID, I found all sorts of things that were happening that I have now changed, thankfully. So hopefully coming out of COVID, I will have a better business to run. Well, we've, we've said on previous uh, broadcasts and discussed this with our good friend, Roland uh, Mock last week, uh, we've all gone, we've all been familiar with zero-based budgeting where, where we continue to work our expenses, but we've gone to zero-based planning really in our industry and uh, not bad. That's just what you're saying. You've learned a lot and some of these things will remain in place for uh, years and decades to come. Amanda, what, uh, from a governmental standpoint, <clears throat> we know here in the U.S., uh, and we've heard from Germany and uh, South America uh, and Mexico what uh, government impacts have been. What has what have been some of the mandates and what has been some of the assistance uh, that you've received? Well, I personally, um, here at Pleasure Beach, we've not received any financial support at all from the government as yet. Now I'm fighting daily and I'm really speaking to so many people in order to, to get something back because we yeah. were shut for Easter. They closed the stand in October. As you know, we have the famous illuminations in Blackpool in October. Yes. Our busiest, busiest times of year. I mean, and last week when they changed the guidelines for opening for Christmas, I lost over half a million pounds worth of bookings immediately that day when they announced that. So it's very difficult to be told to close, told to operate and get nothing in return. Um, yes, we've had furlough and that means that I can keep the staff, but furlough doesn't pay our bills and we still have bills to pay. You know, 
we still have we still have all sorts of bills to pay. We're, we're maintaining the rides now for the winter so we can open again for next year. But you know, we need some help and we do need help. And I do, as you can imagine, I fight hard and not always fairly in this this instance because quite frankly i have to go with every angle i can possibly go for but um i'm speaking to our local council basically daily and to be fair to them they've really supported me vocally but not actually financially yet and i hope that we will get something before christmas do you um, have a uh, do you have an unemployment program like we do here in america yeah, we do have an unemployment program, but our furlough is slightly different to yours because okay. if somebody is working for you, we pay the furlough money. They don't get it from the government, but we we pay the furlough money to them and then we claim the furlough money back from the government. And so um, they okay. don't have to actually sign up with the government um, unemployment um, agencies. So they are still working for us, but they're not working. They're actually at home not working they're staying isolated but we do get the money to pay them 80 percent of their salary at this moment in time so 80 percent yeah well up to thirty thousand pounds that's it's not it's not um it's not across the board it's up to thirty thousand pounds so um they get 80 percent of their salary up to thirty thousand pounds so for a lot of our staff that's been very helpful well, tell, tell us a little bit about, uh, we'll, we'll get to IAPA in, in a few minutes, but tell us about BALPA. I know BALPA, has, you've been very active in BALPA through the years, the family has. Uh, has your British Association uh, helped the park industry throughout the country uh, with support and programs? I think they've been trying to, yes, but I think what's exciting is the hospitality industry, BALPA, and also ALVA, which is, ALVA is yeah. the Association of Leading Visitor Attractions. I think that they have all worked together and they have really found a way to look after all their members very well. And um, certainly Bernard Donahue from ALVA has been fighting the cause, flying the flag very, very firmly in favor of all his members. And um, we get daily updates from both him and Paul Kelly from Balpa. I think one of these, one of the uh, these associations within countries have really, I think they've really helped. And I've been sending all my information to IARPA daily too, so that they're aware of what's happening across the world. Because I think that's very important that everybody is fully aware of what's happening around the place. I know that I speak to June. Well email June and Paulina and also Jacob in Germany and they're the IAPA representatives around the world so um, Paul Hal is sick of my voice I think and, um, and various people in the IAPA office but I can tell you that we are all in tune daily we're talking daily. All we, of uh, one of the things that uh, we we talked about with all of our guests from around the world and we're seeing that as I said, there's different support and there's different reactions from the from the guests as well. And Roland was saying uh, last uh, visit that um, different than the US, he said, when they did reopen, he said the people were coming back uh, in droves. He said it was really, uh, uh, they were champing at the bit as we say to get back. When you've had your opportunities to 
reopen and uh, reintroduce. What, what's been the reaction from the guests and the public uh, to get back to Blackpool? Well, when we first reopened, it was the sort of diehard fans that came through our gates first. But yeah. I would say that um, it was a slow start. Um, July was quite slow, but as soon as we hit all, the sort of last half of July and August, it boomed and we had a, we had a, despite the fact the weather went off, we had our, our guests came. We, we were obviously under restricted numbers, so we couldn't have as many people through our gates as we would have liked, but we were busy. We could handle everybody and look after everybody well. And they continued to come in September. And then the lovely Nicola Sturgeon um, decided to say that Blackpool was a no-go zone. So yeah. from the day she said that, um, we um, we lost all favour from our Scottish visitors. And if you know where Blackpool's located on the map, we're in the northwest of England. And so visiting yeah. the visitors from Scotland are very, very important to us. And they love Blackpool and they love the Pleasure Beach as well. So that was very sad. So I was very disappointed by that because we didn't have an, a high infection rate in Blackpool. So it was very disappointing. She basically wanted to keep Scottish people in Scotland, I think. And so um, they weren't allowed south of the border. And there, there's been a, a bit of trouble with that. And I think that will take confidence to get, get those visitors back. But I'm looking forward to welcoming them back next year with open arms. What, what's up? Uh... What, what do you consider uh, some of the most unique aspects of, of operating Blackpool Pleasure Beach? I mean, it's such a, it has such a history and legacy. And uh, it's, it's, I don't know if it's fair to say it's our Coney Island uh, in a sense. Uh, Probably, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, my, that great, be... my great grandfather went to Coney Island. That was his inspiration. So he brought back all, uh, the ideas from Coney Island. So I think that's probably fair to say. Um, we're located by the coast. So I would say that one of the most difficult things to contend with is it, the northwest winds that blow so strongly. You yeah. have um, hurricanes over there. We have them daily, I think, here. But <laughs> we, have, we have truly dreadful weather. Um, and when it's lovely, it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. And when we have calm oceans and blue skies, then it's the nicest place in the world to be. But um, when it's blowing or raining or freezing cold, then perhaps it's not so great. So um, unfortunately for us, we've had an extraordinary year of weather. We had extremely good weather when the whole of the country was in lockdown. And we missed the sort of yeah. 80 degree weather in April and May, and we never get that in April and May. So that was extraordinary. So I think that actually did help people in lockdown in England because it meant that they could get out and go for walks and people did things that they wouldn't normally have done. So I'm grateful that the weather was good for that period of time. I'm very sad that it changed when we opened because we were then we were then having to cope with rainy days and gloomy weather. And thankfully we could provide some fun, but you know, it would be nice to have a summer with sunshine all the way, but yeah. um, you know that's one of the problems we have being in England. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a dreadfully dreary day, yeah, in England. <laughs> well, it is, and, and it's a dreary day today. <laughs> what do you? Uh, what's what's the throughput to uh, the Blackpool in in general? The area is a resort. What's the throughput? Uh, tourism to the in in good times 
Well, I can tell you in good times when my father was alive, he used to banter around that we have more visitors than the Vatican and we had 18 million people to Blackpool. But today the, today the figure is 16 million people come to Blackpool. But what's exciting is next year we celebrate 125 years of Pleasure Beach. So I'm looking, I don't know whether we'll get 18 million people back. That's 2 million people to gain in a year. But let's hope I can wave the flag and have brought um, at least 16 million people back to Blackpool as a resort. And I know they won't all come through my doors, but most people come to um, Blackpool because somebody in their family wants to go to the Pleasure Beach. Yeah. I always say there's a little bit of Blackpool in everyone in England, but I'm not <laughs> sure whether that's a good thing to say or a bad thing to say. But I generally think that somebody in every family in the country has been to Blackpool, if not the Pleasure Beach. Well, I have. I, I visited when I was chairman of IAPA. Your your father and your mother, they took me, and John Collins, they took me around through England, and we had a wonderful time. And uh, so there's a little bit of Blackpool over here in Cincinnati, Ohio, See, too. So. There's a little bit of Blackpool in Dennis. <laughs> question, a question for you, and you touched on this earlier uh, when, you, when you first started, um, about having some really great rides the wooden roller coasters and things if uh wh what would you uh what would you think would be the rides that you'd like to see reimagined not necessarily exact replicas of of rides but in the future bringing back things we know everything cycles in our industry uh what, what are some of the great <clears throat> rides and, and attractions that you think you'd like to see happen again well, I remember years ago, we had a ride here called The Real. You yes. might remember it, Dennis, but it was certainly a great ride. And I remember that. You were all facing each other and right. up this big hill and then you ricocheted around a track yeah. and it was a really cool ride. Yeah. And I think that would be a great ride to replicate. And um, it doesn't have a huge footprint, but it was very impactful. And that's one of the rides that I really remember being you laughed so much when you were on that ride because not only were you laughing because you were frightened, but you were laughing because you were watching everybody else's facial expression because in, instead of sitting behind each other or next to each other, you were all facing each other. It was yeah, I think we called ride. that the Virginia reel over yeah, here. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's I, right, the Virginia reel. I love that ride. So I think that would be a great one to replicate, but I don't know whether, you know, safety standards change all the time. I don't know whether it's possible to create the ride with the same, the same way. And I don't know whether you would have the same sensation today, but it would certainly be a good ride to have a go at. Well, you, we've got <clears throat> quite a few manufacturers listening today. So if you're listening to Amanda, <laughs> there's, a, there's an opportunity for you. What about, um, uh, I wondered about the Nickelodeon uh, when you brought that in Wallace and, uh, and Gromit. Uh, how did that impact the park and how did you find that uh, carrying forward? Well, we brought Nickelodeon in um, because we needed to make a big change in the park at the time because we had a situation where we had a children's area in the park called, I don't know whether I can really say this in America, it was called Beaver Creek, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. That's appropriate. But uh, we had this area of the park called Beaver Creek and uh, I... I don't think it hadn't been, we hadn't, no, we hadn't changed a lot of it then. So we needed to find a way to drive more families to the park. So we spent many, many years actually 
debating what we should or shouldn't do. And Nick and I were speaking to the guys from Nickelodeon and um, Howard Smith at the time was there. And yep. we worked together with Howard and we put together Nickelodeon Land and John Paul Gertz, he too helped us and Ron Hine. And we created an sure. amazing area in the park. And it really is a fabulous area. Nickelodeon Land is a really cool area at Pleasure Beach. And we incorporated some of the old traditional coasters as well, which was so unique for Nickelodeon because they're so new and about tomorrow and the kids of today, doing creating something that was, was able to capture the fun of the past and the history of the park was a new, a unique adventure for them as well as for us. And I think it worked really, really well. And um, then we have uh, our association with Wallace and Gromit's very different because of mm -hmm. course, Nick Parks was from Preston, which is just down the road mm -hmm. only 20 minutes away. And so that was a really cool fit. And we'd been talking to them for many years and my father had wanted to do this for many, many years. And so, when the when we were able to actually get this project off the ground it was really really something that was close to the family's heart because it was something that we really wanted to put back in for daddy really and so yeah. um we were able to give him a, he can laugh up there in heaven laughing at us building building this crazy ride for him yeah, I can I see Jeffrey up there smiling down on this right yeah, now. I don't know whether he'd be smiling. He might be kicking us in the backside. Who knows? <laughs> nah, he'd, he'd be smiling. Hard. He was one of the truly great gentlemen in the industry. Um, the uh, Looking at Europe in general, and you're talking to all of your uh, friends and peers, colleagues over there, what do you what do you see for Europe uh, in the short term and in the long term? And what's your view, Amanda, of of travel, uh, air air versus vehicle? Obviously, you're restricted a little bit uh, uh, in England by the by the. Not, I mean, not, not having the continent. by the sea. <laughs> yeah, you've got the channel, but uh, what, what, how do you see people moving short term and long term? Uh, 20, 21, I'm talking 22. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm sure that people will take to flying again pretty soon because I, I don't think people are worried about flying. They're worried about when they get to their destination, will the, the air corridor be closed whilst they're there? I think that's part of the problem is I don't think people are too worried about traveling because... I don't think it's the travel that worries them. It's understanding that they can get back easily and safely. And I think that's the problem that we've had this year, because as soon as you've gone somewhere, you haven't been able to get back. And I think that once the vaccine is really around mm -hmm. the world, I think if people will probably have a vaccine passport for a few years and you'll have to prove that you've had a vaccine to be able to travel. I would imagine that that's probably one of the benefits of the vaccine. Um, yeah. being able, I think that will help people travel again. And um, we always used to, I remember when I was a child, we used to have to carry a vaccine passport with us to check that we'd had our polio smallpox <laughs> and everything else. Yeah. So that probably ages me. So yes, I am old, I am decrepit, but we, I'm used to doing it. I've, I've had it before. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm happy to have a vaccine passport. 
Well, maybe you'll be brought in for the test to see how things react as we well, look hopefully, forward. Hopefully, I'm not that old, Dennis. I think that I think they're giving pe older people the the inject the vaccine first. Well, I think here in the U.S., they said last night, well, they've been saying for a couple of weeks that it's going to be the first line of defense: hospital workers, uh, yeah. and 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 the like uh, people. And, who and are... so it should be. And so it yeah, should be, absolutely. But if, but if they need people to have a vaccine that's going to um introduce confidence into other people and they want certain people that have a profile of a certain level then i'm happy to do it if that means that will help because i think a lot of people need confidence to have this vaccine because there's been a lot of negativity around it and um to be honest you know i i really don't think it it's valid i think the negativity is not valid because you know we have to get on we have to face tomorrow and we have to just show confidence in what our great scientists have done. Absolutely. Well, uh, I woke up this morning very early to your email. Uh, <laughs> it was about 3.30, I think, of my time. <laughs> That's all right. But I, the, the next thing I saw was what we talked about earlier, the vaccine being uh, distributed next week in UK. Do you think the people in UK will embrace it immediately? Here in the US, it's been interesting, Amanda. We've uh, we've heard through the polls, if you can believe polls today, that it's about a 50-50 thing. Uh, 50 will, 50 won't. Now, I think that'll shift higher to the vaccine, people taking it. What's it like in Britain? I think it probably feels about that today, probably 50-50 today. But I think when they know that if you have to travel, you have to have the vaccine, I think quietly people will take it. And maybe they won't admit to taking it, but I think a lot more people will take it than not. And I think they might be outwardly saying they won't, but I think inwardly they will take it. Because, you know, at the end of the day, vaccines have saved the world so many times. Yes. And here we are saving the world with a new vaccine. And I think... That's what we've got to do. Do you think if we put it in a pint of Guinness, that might help? <laughs> well, I wouldn't be taking it in a pint of Guinness. You know what I'm like? I'm hopeless at drinking. I, I, we've got a lot of questions rolling in, and we don't. We were under a half an hour to finish, but uh, scroll back down, if you will, to the. Uh, uh, here's one. It says, <clears throat> Amanda. Recently, it was announced that the Blackpool Pleasure Beach won. 11 awards in the UK's first amusement and theme park awards launched by the uh, theme parks, uh, UK.com. It said, this is really amazing. 11 awards out of 20. Uh, tell us, what do you think uh, the main reason was you took so many home and how do you feel about that? <laughs> I well, think I know. I'm thrilled. I'm absolutely yeah. thrilled about it. I'm, I'm sure you wrote apart probably one about 20 out of 20, <laughs> but um, if we can, any award is wonderful and a huge honor to win. And I'm grateful that our amusement park was put up for these awards. And I'm thrilled, absolutely thrilled. And especially in a year when it's been so difficult for everyone to get around and travel. So to be voted and to be nominated is a huge honor. And I'm very grateful to everyone for that. Here's another one. Thank you. Uh, here, This is from Thomas. He says, tell us about the park's capital or expansion plans. Were they delayed, canceled, and uh, which which have continued? I can honestly say that we are, um, clearly, I don't think Thomas has been to the Pleasure Beach. We're a 42-acre site, and 
other than knock everything down and rebuild, um, expanding is quite difficult because we have roads on either side and then the sea, the ocean on the other side. And I, I don't really want to build into the ocean, even though my brother, Nick, and my father wanted to build a coaster into the ocean. I'm not going to take that risk. Our <laughs> ocean, you've seen it. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I have. I don't want to build into the ocean. But um, we, have, we have got, uh, we're reimagining Valhalla at the moment. And ah. so... So that is a that is a um, a new project that we're working on, and um, as you know, that was the ride that probably you got the wettest anyone could possibly get on any ride in the world on Valhalla, and so um, I'm hoping that perhaps you won't get quite as wet when we reimagine it, but maybe not. I think you'll probably still get wet, but we're we're redoing this, we redoing it so it's more ecologically sound and greener because it was very costly to run and it wasn't very. I don't think it was very green and I think um, green yeah. issues are very important now and moving forward we have to look at ways of making our industry much more much more green so the the kids of tomorrow really want to visit us and have fun. Okay here's another one uh, this is from Gabby uh, he said I'm sure seasonal hiring for reopening in 2021 will be a top priority for your ops team uh, with a staff of over a thousand workers are you planning to use some digital tools and or plan virtual recruitment events for your hiring? Well, Gabby, I've already started hiring. Um, we've got several people already hired for next year. We don't normally start hiring until January, but we've already started. I've got over 400 members of our workforce already hired. Um, they, they've been signing up this week, actually. And um, we will be doing online recruitment, yes. So you will be doing it. Absolutely, we will be. Uh, this is from Cherry. Sherry, it says, as we move quickly into the 2021 season, hopefully, which of the pandemic restrictions and safety protocols do you think Blackpool Pleasure Beach will continue and for how long? Well, I'm going to be opening with all our COVID protocols because I think that's important because we've got to build confidence in our guests. And so we will open with all our COVID protocols. Sadly, we'll have to use the numbers, the restricted numbers, because I don't believe when we open, we're opening on the first weekend in February. I don't think that we'll be, we'll be on the other side of the pandemic by then. So we'll be carefully and respectfully opening um, with COVID regulations. I, I think we'll probably run the majority of next season with COVID regulations as well. But I think that's important because I think that we've all got to understand that there's been this great pandemic and I don't want people to have to prove to me that they've had an injection, had the vaccine to come here. Sure. So um, we'll, we'll work on um, with the COVID restrictions to begin with. Then we'll, we'll sort of Play, play things as they come and see how many people take the vaccine. The more people take the vaccine, the more we can relax our restrictions. Uh, this is from Walter. He says, Amanda, how has guest spending changed since the pandemic? And what opportunities do you see in the future in terms of potential ways to increase your revenues at Blackpool? Well, one of the, the first ways our guest spending has changed is the fact that we went cashless. Everything is on credit card now. And um, for us, that was a really big risk because, you know, people come to Blackpool, it's a, a seaside resort, traditional resort. And many of the people that come to Blackpool Pleasure Beach are traditional types of people. 
but we found that they were very quick to respond to a cashless environment and they all liked it and it made everything much easier for us cashing up wise at the end of the day it saved our staff a lot of time and so from that perspective it was a bonus to us sorry what was the other part of the question dennis scroll back down there for that would you please uh, it says and what ways do you plan to uh in what programs do you plan to in institute in the future to increase revenues further well, we're going to launch an app so people can order their food and everything else. They can do their shopping, pick it up here. They can do all sorts of things whilst on park. And we're going to launch everything with, um, well, we've got an app at the moment. We're working on updating the app all the time. So people can buy, buy online from the app, from home and order everything. So when they get here, it'll be very much easier. So um, hopefully that will be a new, exciting way of experiencing Pleasure Beach. Here's another one. Thank you. Uh, here's another one. It says, um, uh, this is from Henri. He says, parks now look for new ways to cut costs that might not have uh, been done in the past, like re removing inefficient rides uh, without replacements or changing the operating calendar to be closed on certain days of the week or periods of the year. What's Blackpool Pleasure Beach doing to cut costs without sacrificing the guest quality? Well, we always try to increase quality for our guests. And um, we always try to give them a lot, a lot of experience for the money that they spend. So um, that's very important that they get value for money. I think value for money in the Northwest of England is vitally important. And uh, I really believe in that, but also, it is difficult to operate on quiet days. And so we sometimes do have to close part, part of the park at different times to the other. And we mm -hmm. have different operating times on less busy days and we will continue to do so, but they, we, won't, we won't encroach on the guest experience. Amanda, uh, let's, let's shift a little bit to IAPA because we haven't spent a lot of time on that as uh, current chairwoman chairperson chairman 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 Ch chairman okay um uh, with with the pandemic uh, you know you've been faced and and challenged with uh things that we've never seen before as we as we discussed er, uh earlier and uh, you've also um I saw in our communiques uh through our advisory board that you've been asked to stay on for a second year to maintain continuity of the uh, of 2020 and 2021, uh, what are you what are you thinking about? What 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 discussions are you having uh, at IAPA uh, to move through this and to carry forward into 2021? Just if you could, just uh, well, give us a I few of those ideas. Well, thank thank you, Dennis. I, I've been working very hard with all the IAPA staff all around the world. And I can assure you the doors of IAPA never closed through this pandemic. The, yeah. the regions have been so valuable at this time. And I don't think anyone ever thought that the regions would be so influential and so helpful to our members. And I think that you'll find that um, 
we're going to spend more time looking at the regions and understanding the regions and IARP has been structured in a slightly different way and um, the North American region has been given a huge boost now. John Hollenbeck is in charge there and he is, the trade show now comes under the North American region. Yeah. So um, we have a trade show in the Asian region, we have a trade show in the EMEA region, and we also have one in the North American region. It's only Latin America and the Caribbean region we don't have a trade show, but we have various different things in this region that will help continue to service all the members of this region. So I think we, we, we can look in more in in a wider, more global feel to the association. And I think truthfully, all the people of IAPA, all the staff of IAPA have worked together as a team to create a really strong future for our association. I know that you've given me a hard time, Dennis, you've been banging on um, to me about how things should change. And I think um, it was it was quite complicated to explain to you what we were having to do because I didn't want to explain to you too early because it was people's lives that were involved in this. And we had to make sure that we were developing an IAPA that was strong enough and secure enough to make sure that we could face next year safely, courageously, and move IAPA forward to the future. And um, I'm, I'm not frightened of making decisions, Dennis. So I think from one point of view, that's probably been quite helpful for all the people in IAPA because I, all the staff at IAPA, because I can, I can see it and I can help them make the right decisions. I can tell them what I feel is right. And certainly I know that they are working 24 seven around the world to make sure all the IAPA members are truly looked after because you know, that's why IAPA is here. IAPA is here because it was created by the members for the members. Exactly. Um, and that's exactly what we're doing. We're cutting back to sort of grassroots again, looking at what we need to do, but it's on a global scale now. And um, we really are, we really are doing our best to make sure that next year we can meet, we can look at look at ways we can do things in a different way, but we will, and we will make sure that IAPA has a very strong future. Uh, you said it, <clears throat> I'll repeat it. Paulina, John, June, Hal, Susan, the whole team. Jacob. Whole, Jacob, Jacob, absolutely, Jacob. The whole, the whole IAPA team. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> you said around the clock, and I do see the emails coming in around the clock from, from IAPA, and you, you are absolutely correct. They've done an amazing job of calling the audibles that needed to be called as quickly as they possibly could to, yeah. to move forward. And, um, you know, Amanda, I was a strong supporter of you going into the rotation for the chairs uh, when you were identified. And uh, when this time and problematic era beset us, I said, they're in the better person in this job than Amanda Thompson, because she will speak her mind. <laughs> she will not hold back and she will lead. <clears throat> and you've done that. And uh, you're lucky to have a good partner like Hal uh, in, in that position, Hal McAvoy, to, uh, to work with you in the staff capacity. I think that the IAPA staff in general have been absolutely outstanding. They yeah. really have. They've, they've really listened to what the members needed. And Hal has had a difficult job because he's new to his position. Um, yeah. 
that is no and there's so many new staff coming out of the global H, uh, headquarters in Orlando and it's hard for them. In fact, it's hard for the whole world because no one's used to working remotely. Our industry is based on socializing, talking to people, learning from each other. And that's been very difficult because a lot of people aren't used to doing all these Zoom chats and we like to be together and we like to share experiences and we like to be able to communicate with each other. It's one of the few industries in the world that actually shares information readily and openly. And I think that's one of the, one of the unique um, things that makes our industry so great we all share, even though we're competitors, we all share what's great about the industry. Well, I think it's great to have Hal McAvoy in as president of IAPA during this period. We've gone through a series of people as we know, but as you know, and, uh, and I know, we've both known Hal for a long time. There isn't a more optimistic a leader in the industry than Hal. And uh, even in when the, the last drop of water is in the glass, he sees it half full. And, uh, he he's, a, he's a half full type of guy. And also his team, Josh is very good. David Mann's really good. You know, there's a very- Yeah, David's there. wonderful. Yeah, David's and, and Josh can provide everyone with absolutely reams of figures for them to get stuck into. He really is a great numbers man. And he is he's really doing a fantastic job keeping his finger on the pulse all over the world. Well, I, I have to tell you, uh, having set in on that advisory uh, call, board call a few weeks ago, which you were on. And when Josh <laughs> went through those numbers, it was one of the best jobs of explanation of, of, of our P&L that I've ever seen, and particularly uh, uh, indicating the uh, difficulties that they've had, the cuts, et cetera, and where it is. So, uh, and as he pointed out, and this is for our, our viewers and listeners, uh, years ago, we set up a, a program of a restricted reserve to support us in the time of a, a rainy day. Well, the rainy day came when we had to eliminate all of our all of our uh, exhibitions, which uh, provide us a tremendous amount of revenue. And uh, we're fortunate to, to have that and to have the leadership to understand that and manage that. But we will re be replenishing the rainy day fund of the restricted funds. Don't worry, <laughs> Dennis is the top of my list because I know how valuable those funds are. And um, sadly, uh, I fear that we may have um, a rainy day again in the not too distant future, but we've got to prepare and IAPA will be prepared. But uh, we've got trade shows again next year, so we'll be good, we'll be glad of those. It, as we're discussing IAPA, here comes a question uh, from uh, Sheila. She says, uh, Amanda, what are your what are your goals uh, specifically for 2021 for IAPA? What do you want to see accomplished first? Well, I want to see the trade shows happening and that's the that's most important thought. thing um, yeah. because really that's what we all need. We all need to get together. We all need to meet. So um, whether we meet in Orlando or China or um, Barcelona, we've got to find a solution and we will find a solution and we will, we will meet again and it won't be by Zoom next year. We will be, we will be meeting in person. That's what we need to accomplish. This is from uh, Mach, and it says, from an operator perspective, he says, what do you think the operators are looking for in terms of support from IAPA? 
uh, and what they they're providing. And is there anything additional on the horizon that should be provided? Well, I think IAPA did an awful lot of good and help, and they, they really helped with all the COVID procedures. They put together all COVID protocols for throughout the world, so they really helped there with safety and security. And I think that, I think, you know, the number one reason that IAPA exists today is to ensure that safety is prevalent around the world. That will continue. Security as well will be the number two most important thing. And I think IAPA will be there to ensure that that happens. And we will be pushing safety and security, but that is really, really, really important. But I think also what's also we have to look at and we can't forget about is green issues. Green issues are so important moving forward. But I don't think that will be the most important thing next year. Next year, it will be ensuring that all the parks can open safely, can operate safely and securely. And I think that's what we've all got to. IAPA will be focused on that and it will be education, education, education all the way. And hopefully we'll look for some great, um, great people to speak about various issues. Um, we can do some webinars and help people that way. Well, I think we're going to have a great opportunity the next couple of years to do some forensic examination. Absolutely. We're going to be able to go back in and see what has worked, what hasn't worked, what will remain. I've, I've said several times that just like 911, uh, we've never lived, traveled uh, exactly the same way we did before that. And with COVID, our industry, which has been one of the hardest hit now, as we know, uh, billions and billions and billions of dollars uh, have 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 uh, have been lost. Uh, we're going to find things that will make us stronger as we as we come out of this. Here's here's another question, Amanda. <clears throat> this is from Sean. It says, as chairman of IAPA, how's the membership now, especially during the pandemic? Has it shrunken? Do you see it maintaining? And do you think if it has shrunken that that will come back? Well, certainly in Europe, it's not shrunk. In Europe, it's grown. And I think that, um, I, I think that um, the membership has remained stable in Asia and in America too. I think that it, it depends on what region that you're in. Uh, I think Latin America has had, had some issues, but that, that will come back. It's just that people are focused on their business at the moment and they're, they're really looking at, at their business and moving forward. And I know Paulina will not turn her back on people that have always been members. She will sure. always choose to help them. And um, IAPA is here for all members, even if, they, even if they may not be members right now at this second, IAPA will never turn its back on previous members. And I know that eventually we'll get them all back. Well, there are some members, as we know, there's going to be some walnuts, as I say, that Absolutely. fall off the tree. I mean, it just will happen. But uh, like like you've said, and I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that, uh, we want to support those people that have been here uh, forever uh, and who are maybe smaller, not part of the bigger public companies. Uh, and we should find ways to do that. I'm, uh, I, I'm sure that we will. And I don't see, I don't see IAPA turning its back on anyone. I really don't. Any, any past member, I would not turn its back on them. Uh, this comes in from Sarah. She says, what is your prediction? Question mark. Will enough people take the vaccine and find a restored confidence to consider future buying, number one, 
and to attend the IAAPA EMEA trade summit in February. That's going to be in uh, in Germany, right? Well, that's that's soon. February is very soon. I am I'm keeping everything crossed that we can still maintain that trade summit in um, Europa Park in February. I'd like to be able to do that. I don't know what the restrictions are with going in and out of Germany at the moment, but I'm certainly going, if it means having a vaccine, taking a vaccine, I will be there. Um, I think the rest of the world wants to be there. I think it just depends on how we see the other side of Christmas and what the infection rates are within Europe after Christmas. Um, certainly, it's um, we, we're not due to go until early February, so I'm hoping that it'll be enough time to be able to go and meet, but I don't think we will meet if it will cause anyone any issues or a problem, but um, we don't want to cause the infection rate to rise anywhere, but we definitely want to meet, and I hope that we get to do it. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I mean, um, it, it was a shame to miss Orlando and... Uh, I've said several times it would have been my 50th anniversary. I wanted to go celebrate and see all my friends. And uh, I was sitting on my couch that week. So yeah. kind of kind of disappointing. Here's another question for you. <clears throat> it says, uh, where do you personally see the hotspots in the coming years in terms of development and growth? And is there room for new parks in the European community? Well, I think there's always room for new parks. In That's from Donna, incidentally, sorry. From whom? Donna. Hi, Donna. Um, I think the um, our industry is huge and always good for anything new and innovative. And I think if you've got an innovative product, um, you can put it anywhere. But if you're talking about just another amusement park, is there really just another amusement park? There isn't. They're all designed and created by imag imaginative people. And so every amusement park is very different. And so I think that's what's exciting about our industry. There's no two amusement parks that are, the, that are the same. So what's exciting is there's always a place for an amusement park in our lives, certainly now. Yeah. Well, as we know, over 500 million people visited parks in 2019. Here in America, I think it was over 375 million. So um, I always say here, <clears throat> we have a saying about, America's favorite pastime is baseball. I say it's theme parks here in, here in America. And uh, we're loved and people miss it and they wanna come back and they will come back. And we are incredibly resilient as you know. Well, that's one of the great things about our industry. We're used to change and we are resilient. So um, if people have a little bit of imagination as well, that's even better still. We can create an even better tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're coming up right on 11. I've got one more question for you from, I can't read the name. It's, I think it's Renee. <laughs> <laughs> you could do read you, the name. Do you know anybody named Renee? <laughs> <laughs> How well do you know anybody named Renee? <laughs> Stop. Okay, it says, "What, uh, Amanda, my dear, what's the most memorable, memorable experience you've been a part of in your career? Uh, in your career, <laughs> that's what it says. Does it? Um, right. Um, well, I can think that when every, well, one of the most memorable parts was being made chairman of IARPA. That was, that was great for me. 
And yeah. that, I think the most memorable part of me was for, for me was when I was given my OBE because that was awarded to me for my services in the leisure industry. So that yeah. was very important to me. I think every time I build and create a new project, design a new show, I love that. But if you, I, you know, I just love traveling and being with the people that I love in our industry. And I think that's the best part of everything for me in our industry. It's, it's traveling and being with the people that can sit down and talk about something we all love and are all passionate about. So I don't have one special moment. Every moment is created is special for me. So it's being with my friends in the industry is important to me. Well, that's a great answer. That's a great way to wind it up. I want to thank you uh, for being here today, Amanda. I know you've got a busy schedule with all the uh, companies and the, and and IAPA uh, that you have to tend to. Um, so thank you very much. And I hope that as we move into the next year and we see different things occurring, that you'll come back on and share your thoughts and insight. Would you please do that, please? Of course I will, Dennis. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Yeah, thank you. And please give your my best to, to the whole family and particularly your mom, okay? Of course I will. And happy Christmas and have, have a wonderful festive period, everyone. Th thanks so much. Well, I always like to end up with a couple of things. I say the same thing. You know, if we don't have fun, how can we sell fun? And that's what we do in our industry. And the other thing is... Uh, we're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time. Uh, we work in a, in a great industry. We don't put smoke in the skies. We, we don't contaminate and pollute the streams. Really, at the end of the day, what do we do? We, we make memories and put smiles on people's faces. So I uh, want to remind our listeners uh, right now and viewers that on December 16th, Richard Zimmerman, uh, President and Chief Executive Officer of Cedar Fair, will be joining us on uh, the I'm for Fun podcast. Uh, can't wait to uh, have Richard on as a guest. And uh, John Riley will be coming on, uh, who is uh, Chief Operating Officer of Palace Entertainment, which is owned by Parque, Parque's Rianutos. So, and we have a few more surprises coming. So, uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Amanda, uh, tell Robert thank you and uh, give Steve my best. I will do. I okay. will do. Thank you, Dennis. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone.